Hello and welcome to Hunt, Find, Alert, the canine search and rescue podcast where we discuss everything related to the world of canine search and rescue work. I'm your host, Zephyrin Allen, and thank you for joining us today. Today we have a very exciting discussion with, with an old training partner of mine, I'll call her that, about live find dogs and recall, excuse me, recall refines. But before we get to that, I want to to uh, throw out a disclaimer for the listeners. I am currently traveling for work. I am in a beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia, which is a an amazing city. If you haven't had the opportunity to visit, with that being said, I'm right in downtown Vancouver. So there's a lot of background noise. There's probably going to be a little bit of an echo. So, if the sound quality isn't kind of what you're necessarily used to then you'll probably just have to deal with it. But after all, this is a free podcast, so what's the big deal? So, <laughs> But I'll, I'll apologize ahead of time for any sound quality issues that we may run into. So with all that being said, let's go ahead and get started. Michelle, how are you doing today? I am fantastic. Weather great. in Wisconsin is beautiful. Great, great. So with us today is Michelle Metzner. She is out of the state of Wisconsin, as she just mentioned, and as you may have noticed from her voice and her accent. So Michelle, tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you do professionally? And then we'll jump into your dog training background from there. Okay. Like you said, my name is Michelle. I was born and bred in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. I currently live in Greenleaf, Wisconsin, which is just south of Green Bay. I am not a Packers fan, so I'm going to apologize to anyone who is. Um, yeah, it's that's pretty much me in a nutshell. My paying job when I'm not doing search and rescue, I manage a veterinary clinic in the city of Green Bay that lies in the shadow of Lambeau Field. So you can say I'm living the dream. <laughs> yeah, isn't it a great thing to live in the city and not be a fan of the, the football team? With the disclaimer, I'm from Dallas, so you have to be a Cowboys fan. Otherwise, they won't let you live there. But I'm sure you run into a lot of issues with that. I do. I do. And my entire clinic are all Packers fans, and they all go see games, and they invite me, and I'm like, I would rather stick a pin in my eye. So, yeah, so I'm probably you, the only person in Wisconsin who is not a Packers fan. Yeah, so you're not a football fan at all or just not a Packers fan? Generally not football at all. I'm a little bit more into the horse racing thing. Oh, okay, so, cool, cool. Yeah. Good. That, that makes sense. So then let's jump into your search and rescue background. So let me ask just a couple of questions. So number one, when did you get started in search and rescue? Uh, and then number two, how did you get started in search and rescue? So I got started right around the end of 1991, beginning of 1992, fresh out of high school. I actually met my husband, who at the time was um, part of an Explorer post. He was one of the advisors on the Explorer post in Sheboygan that did search and rescue. And we ended up, I guess, meeting, getting together. We started dating. We got a dog. I had been into tracking at the time. And so we were starting our dog off with tracking. We happened to meet the canine officer of the Sheboygan County Police Department. And Jeff saw us training in a park one day and gave us our business card for the first search and rescue team that I belonged to, which was called Rescue Med out of Grafton, Wisconsin. Um, we were with them for a couple of years. That morphed into another team. And then in 1999, Sean and I started Canine Emergency Response Teams, which is the team that we are still involved with today. 
Oh, okay, cool. So I, di- I didn't realize that. So your husband also does search and rescue. So does he do, is he a canine handler as well? Or does he do ground search and rescue? So he handled the dog for a long, long time. And now he's much more on the medical disaster side of things. Mm-hmm. He's very active with a local medical reserve corps unit. So he's kind of done more of the groundwork, medical side rescue portion of search and rescue. Okay. Okay, cool. Well, that's at least it's nice that you, you all are able to share that together and respond together where, where it's needed. So, so tell me a little bit more about your, your current team. Like, uh, what, what size are your team? What size is your team? What type of calls do you handle, et cetera? Sure. So we, um, our name is Canine Emergency Response Teams. We have two divisions in Wisconsin, so we're fairly spread out. I run the central division, which is kind of the central and northeastern part of the state. And then we have another division that's currently being run by a good friend of mine, Sarah Garfunkel, who is located in the northwestern part, almost on the Minnesota border. Um, so we stay pretty active. We probably average about 20 to 30 calls a year. We do we don't do any trailing on our team. We are primarily AirSent, um, HRD, and then USAR because um, our team provides the canine resources to Wisconsin Task Force One. So we spend all of our time pretty much doing disaster, live find area search, and the different venues in the cadaver dog world. Oh, okay, cool. So just curious, are, uh, are you seeing a, a trend for your team of more life on work or more uh, cadaver work? I have to say over the years, I have seen it go more towards the cadaver dog world. And it's interesting because when I started search and res- in start in search and rescue in 1991, 92, um, there weren't different venues. So you just trained a search dog. Mm -hmm. And your dog went out if it was a live missing child, if it was a homicide, and your dog just found everything. And so in the last 30 years, I've seen it kind of polarize into live find and human remains detection, and then all of the subsets that have happened in the human remains detection world. So it's been an interesting transition over the last three decades, but I definitely, when I look at the stats probably in the last five or six years, we get a lot more um, cadaver calls or they're calling a little bit later. And by that time, it's already assumed that the person has passed away. So, and the more drones have taken over, we've seen our call rate go down a little bit too. Mm. It's starting to rebound, but that definitely has put an impact um, in the number of calls that we've had. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And so just, I'm curious, I've never been to Wisconsin, so I'm pretty ignorant on the state. Is the area that you operate in, uh, uh, is it urban? Is it more, most mostly rural? I think you mentioned you don't do a lot of trailing work or any at all. So I'm, I'm guessing you're probably more rural, but just did, what type of areas are you working in? Yeah. So Wisconsin is primarily farmland. We do, you know, Green Bay is a bigger city, Milwaukee, obviously, Madison's a college town. We do have our share of big cities, but really, if you look at the general population of Wisconsin, you're looking at a lot of hunting land up north. You're looking at a lot of farmland, dairy cows, cornfields, soybeans. Um, The western side of the state is a little bit more hilly, and, you know, you have a little bluffs right along the river, but we're pretty... 
were pretty flat to rolling hill farmland type things. And then we mutual aid with some other teams that do the trailing work. So if we need one, we can call them and they come and help us all the time. Okay, sounds good. Uh, let's jump into your dog. So let's start, just generally speaking, uh, let's work from your, your first dog up into your, your current dog or dogs. Tell us a little bit about the dogs that you've had and what they worked in, and then let's finish with your current dog. Sure. So the first dog I had was a shelter find. His name was Buddy. That was the first one that Sean and I adopted. He was a shepherd Akita mix. He was fantastic. At that time, trailing was kind of the thing. So we were, and I was from the AKC world, so I was very familiar with the AKC tracking. So we did trailing. Um, first, he passed away of cancer fairly quickly after we got him. And Sean and I ended up getting two shepherds, um, Duchess and Kayla. And that's when we switched into the kind of air scent world. And I kind of got hooked on the beginnings of disaster. I went to a couple seminars with Bill Dotson and some of the people that are big in the disaster world. Um, and so we kind of veered into that subset fairly early in my career even though there's not a huge call for that in Wisconsin, knock on wood, thank God, we don't have a lot of natural disasters. We have tornadoes every once in a while, but they're generally not horrible. Um, so there wasn't a lot of opportunity to do the disaster work. So my first dogs were all refined dogs. I mean, that's what everybody trained and that's what you did. And whether you were doing cadaver or you were doing, like I said, back then it was all just a search dog. So we did refines for everything. We just didn't know any better. When I lost those two dogs, I had them for about a decade. My second decade, I wandered into the world of bloodhounds. That was oh, my midlife no. crisis. <laughs> yes. I did not get a little red sports car for my midlife crisis. I got a little red hound dog. <laughs> and so Trace was my hound. I worked him until he went blind in trailing. And then I had, that's sort of when I shifted off of the shepherd's and pointy-eared breeds and started going more towards the world of retrievers. Sarah, who is now my best friend, moved to Wisconsin from Florida and she had flat coats and we had a breeder of really nice goldens on the team. And so I sort of got hooked into that and I've been doing retrievers ever since. So my current guys and, and kind of that second decade is when things were really, you know, the the early 2000s, late 1990s is kind of when the search dog world started really breaking apart that I remember and training live find and cadaver dogs as separate entities. And so probably my first um, retrievers, Fargo and Fargo and Brett were my first kind of separated dogs where I trained Fargo specifically for cadaver and Brett specifically for live find. And that's when the whole bark alert thing came and I switched from refines to bark alerts. And yeah, I, I kind of haven't looked back right now. I have a flat coated retriever, Ayla that does cadaver. I have Brett's nephew tap from Pemberley Retrievers that does live find and he is a fantastic little golden. I have a little yellow lab named Duke who is training up to be Ayla's replacement because she is eight going on nine and flat coats 
tend not to live very long. They do have high incidences of cancer. So I'm training her protege. And then I have a little fox red lab that's being trained as well for cadaver. So that's kind of where I'm at now. So I have run the entire gamut of a dog that does everything with refines to dogs that are separate that still do refines to dogs that are still separate that now do bark and holds. Okay, cool. So I, I have to interject and tell her the story. So just a bit of context. I met Michelle a few years ago. And if anyone's looking for a really good air scent seminar, the, the, I forget what it's called, Michelle, the Shreveport Seminar yes. out, out in East Texas. Please make sure to attend. It's in March of every single year. Uh, Michelle is always there. Sarah is always there. And then there's folks from the Shreveport Fire Department that are always there. Fantastic air scent seminar. If you're looking for one and you're in the East Texas or Louisiana area, please go there. So to get to my story, so I've met Tap at the, the last time I went to the Shreveport Seminar. And Michelle may not remember this story, but I'm going to tell it anyway, because it's hilarious. Okay. So we were doing little drills with the dogs and the drill was we'd have someone lay underneath a blanket uh, and we'd have the dog run up and, and alert on the person underneath the blanket. And then the idea behind it was the dog just need to alert on someone that they couldn't see that was undercover. And so I go up it to lay, lay down and Michelle is getting ready to run her dog tap. And she says, hey, are you sure you want to do this? And uh, I, I said, yeah, this. yeah, like, what's the problem? And Michelle says, well, he comes in kind of hot, so just kind of be careful. And I'm like, well, I work with shepherds, you know, with mouths. I'm not worried about this golden retriever. And I said, oh, I'll be fine. And so I lay underneath the blanket and she sends him and he comes in <laughs> a million miles an hour, jumps on my face, jumps on my head. <laughs> Spins in 15 circles and I'm trying to get his ball out to give it to him. And as soon as I come out from underneath a blanket, all I see is his butthole come across my face and he rubs his butthole directly across my forehead. <laughs> right. I mean, it was, it, I mean, right across, it was, it was like he used my forehead as toilet paper and I finally throw his ball and then every, I look up and everyone is dying laughing. And I look at Michelle and she's beat red. She stopped breathing <laughs> and she finally squeaks out. Are you okay? <laughs> and I said, I said, yes, I'm fine. And then she let out, let out a belly laugh. Like you've never heard before in your life. Oh God. That it, was a moment. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it was 10 minutes later. And, and anyone who've met me, you know, that I don't have very much hair. I was pulling that dog's hair fur out of my hair for the next 15 minutes because I was covered with the fur from from the base of his tail. So so, yeah, I know Tap very well. Him and I have been uh, introduced <laughs> intimately. <laughs> yes, yes. And from the perspective of I remember that moment vividly. A matter of fact, this year, I think we even talked about it at the seminar. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I remember all we saw was the blanket like flailing. <laughs> Tap was like on the blanket and tried to get to you. I think your sunglasses flew off. Yes, they did. Yep. And, I, yep. And Kelly was like, "Should we help him?" 
but none of us would move. We were just like, well, he'll figure it out. He'll get him the ball. At some point, Tap will get off of him. Tap is my hugger. So Tap is very joyful. He yep. takes great joy in finding people in the woods. And so he just assumes that if you are lost, you have his ball. And if he hugs you enough, he will get it. Yep. So, yep. yeah. So, so if anyone ever runs into Tap and she asks you to lay on the ground, you may want to put a hat on or something <laughs> to cover your face. Football gear. Yeah. You need the full helmet. You need the whole thing. Yep, that's right. That that. I'll never forget that story. That was that was so funny. I just couldn't stop laughing. Uh, all right, so so let's yeah, let's get into the, the purpose of the episode. So again, we want to talk about the recall refine, specifically for live fine dogs. I'm well aware that HR dogs also do it, but we're gonna we're gonna stay in the realm of live fine dogs. But before we jump into what is a recall refine, Michelle, what I'd like you to actually do is kind of talk through some of the other uh ftrs or, or final train responses that you have seen for wilderness area search dogs and then what are some of the pros and cons of those and then we'll end with what the recall refined is and then why it's it's probably the preferred method for most most area search dogs yeah so the two main types of alerts that I have seen and that I'm familiar with are the recall refined and then the, the bark and hold and the mm -hmm. different train final responses for the recall refined that I have seen personally are um, <laughs> the one that I hear a lot of. He comes back and looks at me and gives me the look <laughs> and then I know I need to run and find them. Yeah, we'll get into that in a minute. Yeah. Um, the one where they come back and touch my hand I've I've seen a lot of that over the years. So I don't know what happens when your hands are in your pocket, but yeah, so I've had that. There's the bringsel. I've seen a couple of people do the bringsel where they have something attached to the collar or what I kind of call the modified bringsel, um, where the handler has something hanging from their belt or sticking out of their pocket and the dog comes back and grabs that as their alert mm -hmm. um, or the modified bark, which instead of barking at the subject, the dog comes back and barks at the handler, like, hey, come follow me, you know, kind of like Lassie, right. Timmy, Timmy, and um, runs back to the victim. So those are the things that I've seen. And I think, I think they have, well, okay, some of them have good merits. So I like the come back and bark at the handler. I think if you're going to do a refind and you have a really confident dog, that's probably my favorite trained final response with a refind is because you can't mistake that. Um, you know, it, they come back, they look at you, they bark at you, you know, you take a step, they spin around and run back to the person. Um, my next favorite, if it's taught correctly, is the modified bringsel where they come back and they grab something hanging off of their handler's belt or sticking out of the pocket. I think that's super noticeable too. The two that I really, it does kind of make my head hurt when I ask people at classes, wherever it is that I'm teaching, you know, what do you, what does your dog do is the come back and look at me and the come back and touch my hand thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's just because I have seen, I'm also a lead evaluator for almost all of the disciplines for NASAR. I've been an evaluator for Noctis and NASDAQ and NISDAQ. Um, 
so I've done a lot of evaluations and where they fall apart is during the stress of the test, the touch my hand or look at me funny or, you know, blinks twice and raises their left paw. They don't do it. Or the handler doesn't see it because they're reading their map or they're talking on the radio or they're taking a drink. And now that behavior that was very target specific in training in the real world doesn't happen and they fail their evaluation. So for me, and I'm thinking if you're failing an evaluation, you are leaving someone probably to die in the woods. And so for me, those are the two things. When people say those, I'm like, look, we need to change those. The body bang is another one that I see sometimes where the dog comes in and jumps up on the handler. I like that alert. Um, I like it if the dogs are medium to small size, but I've seen some really small people with body bang alerts with really big dogs. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that I see all the time is the cue. That dog is running back and the handler knows they found the victim. So they brace for the impact. And again, that's a cue to the dog. The dog's like, oh, mom's mom's bracing, dad's bracing. So I'm right, I'm gonna hit them. And when you take that ability away for the handler to know where the victim is, you don't always get that subliminal cue that you've been giving to your dog the whole time that you've been training. Um, plus, as the dog gets older, I mean, let's face it, we're pretty hard on our search dogs. You know, they're pounding their joints pretty often. Um, as they get older, that alert may get less and less reliable. So I like the body bang for some dogs and handler teams. But I do see the pitfalls of that one being that there's usually a subconscious cue that the handlers give without even knowing it. And as the dog gets older, it just gets too painful for them to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my <clears throat> my shepherd used to do, and it wasn't quite a full body bang, but he would come back to me and kind of lift his front paws up. And it was, it was, it, I didn't want him to jump on me, but I wanted it to be distinctive. Right. Now that he's seven, uh, he doesn't want to do that at all. So he comes back to me and spins in a circle. So to your point, as they get older, they just don't have the ability or they don't want to, or they may have some type of pain that we don't know about to prevent them from doing that. So now he just spins in a circle in front of me. And I thought to myself, I wish I'd have started this from day one. This is much easier yes. for him and me. <laughs> yep. And it's, it's super easy to read. Yeah. So, you know, I like the things that as an evaluator, I'm looking at it and I'm looking at it as somebody when I'm teaching a class, you know, these are the people that I might have to call someday to save my life to or well, not my because I wouldn't be calling, but to save the life of a family member or to save someone um, that's a friend of mine somewhere. So when I'm looking at dogs, I'm looking at is this going to survive the real world? Mm -hmm. Are you going to be able to do this when you've been out in the woods for five, six hours in the heat of every state except Wisconsin, because it's cold here? Um, you know, are you, is the dog going to do this when it's tired, when it's exhausted, when it's hot, when you're hot, when you're reading your map, when you're tying your shoe? So that's kind of where, I, that's where I see things fall apart every single time in every single class the one thing that falls apart on the on the recall refined is the tfr mm -hmm. um yeah so that's kind of my opinion of those things 
You know, it's interesting because you mentioned that, and I've been to enough seminars to know, and you've certainly taught enough seminars to know, that's the one thing that falls apart. And most good seminars will start with that. Like your seminars always start with that. But a lot of people don't want to train and they say, oh, I just want to go out and search 30 acres. And I don't, I, I've never understood the, the perspective of, I want my dog to search a bunch of acres but who cares if it tells me if it found anyone? I'm, what's the point? <laughs> if the dog right. finds someone and you don't know, they, you, you, you serve no purpose other than to walk around and look cool. Uh, that, that does no one any good. I, I'm interested in your opinion. So I know you mentioned, and, and I know some of this is probably because you work with the task force, uh, of the, the pure bark alert where the dog is barking directly at your subject versus the recall refined uh, and I don't know if necessarily one is better than the other, but just what is your perspective on on one versus the other? So I actually switched to the recall or to the bark alert for my wilderness dogs mm -hmm. after my second disaster seminar um, with Bill Dotson, actually down in Waldoxy State Park in Mississippi. It was a Noctis seminar way back in the day. And I thought, oh, my God, that is so easy. <laughs> like that is so easy and and I was very lucky in that I have almost always have very confident live fine dogs they were very people friendly they would give me up for a ball I mean you could have put tap in the car the day he put his butt on your face and took him away and he'd have never looked back mm -hmm. um so I watched a dog do that in a wide area search and it blew my mind how much easier it is to teach literally well you do have to have good subjects I will give you that you have to have good victims to teach a bark alert um, but what I liked about it was that it increased my dog's ranging right because I have nothing to do with the reward they know that the reward is out in the woods and the person out in the woods has the reward. So they range like crazy. Um, so it fixed any ranging problems I had. Um, it was one and done. Find the victim, bark at the victim, get your ball. That's all the dog had to learn. Find the victim, bark at the victim, get your ball or your toy. My my Tap's uncle liked rubber chickens. And so he... He was the chicken man. And so, you know, he, it was just so easy to train. A couple of the pitfalls that I did find, you know, and I've heard people talk about them and I can only talk about my experiences. You know, they don't want the little kid to start screaming. You know, they don't want the, you know, the Alzheimer's patient to be afraid or, or have a heart attack or, you know, the big gloom and doom scenarios. My thought process and my experiences, you know what? that person may die if they're not found. So if my barking golden retriever scares them a little bit and they start screaming, I'm going to know that they're right and we're going to run all the quicker to find them. Yeah. Um, the first subject that Brett ever found was a little girl who fell off of her bike in the local park. She fell down a ravine 
And when Brett went up and started barking at her, she started laughing. She wasn't <laughs> afraid at all. We came upon them and that little girl was laughing because he would bark and then he'd, he'd kind of poke her like, hey, give me my chicken. Mm -hmm. And then he'd back up and bark some more. And so, um, yeah, I've never had anybody scream and I have had a couple of fines. I've been lucky enough in my career to have those with my bark alert dogs. And it's never been a problem for me. The other downfall I hear about the bark alerts is that sometimes if the dog is ranging really far, you don't hear them. That I can say is sometimes true. Um, there have been times at training where tap has been an eighth of a mile away from me and I barely hear him barking. But what I have found in my experience is my dogs will bark at the person for three, four, five minutes. And then, and then they're kind of like, well, where is she? And how come I don't have my ball yet? And they'll kind of start doing just naturally this weird little refine like behavior mm -hmm. where they'll like run back and be like, hey, are you coming? And all I have to do is say, you know, you know, get to work or whatever. And they spin around, they go back. And usually then I'm close enough to hear them bark. So they know that the reward comes from the victim and that they need to stay and bark at the victim. But I've seen it with both of my Goldens for sure, that if I really test the theory and I, you know, I hear them barking and I just sit down and start reading a book, it won't take very long for them to be like, where did she go? How come she's not coming? No one's giving me the ball. Um, so those are the two pitfalls that I hear most of the time in the refine versus bark alert thing. And for me, it's never been that big of a deal. You know, if my dog scares a victim, oh, well, at least I'm found. I'm found. Yeah. Yep. Um, and now they have, you know, I've never been one until tap. I'd never been someone who I didn't even have a GPS until I got tap. I didn't have a dog collar because if you've been to the seminars I teach at, I get super annoyed with people who are looking at their electronics and not their scent detection furry machine. So, but the nice thing about if you do have a bark alert dog is now they have collars that will tell you your dog is barking. Mm -hmm. So that's just an even little bit extra layer of protection, in my opinion, that if tap is really far away from me and I can't hear him, my electronics are going to buzz and be like, tap is barking at the rate of 30 barks a minute. So, yeah, I, I have not really had an issue with any of the the negativity things around the bark. I I like the fact that it it gets rid of all of the ranging issues that sometimes I see with recall dogs too. But I do understand both sides of the coin. So, you know, you have to do what you have to do. Sure. Okay. Yeah. And as a disclaimer, so my second dog, my, my Labrador, her name is Prissy. She's a bark alert. And I went to the Shreveport seminar and I saw Michelle's dog was one of them. And I saw some of the other bark alert dogs. And I was like, when I get my next dog, that's what I'm doing. Um, and she's a bark alert and everything Michelle just described is exactly what she does. So good stuff. So, so let's jump into the recall refine. So let me ask this question because I, I want to make it practical for the listener. So let's say I'm starting with my dog and let's, let's just say for the, the sake of argument, I'm starting search training with my dog 
at a year old. I know somebody's going to say, well, you need to start that dog at 12 weeks. That, that's not an argument I'm going to get into today. Let's just say I'm starting at a year old and I'm starting with runaways. Do you start teaching the recall refined from the first day that they start runaways? Or are you, are you starting that dog later on in this career when they, when they understand the game better? So how, what is your process to start? So for me, it's not the age that, that dictates the training method. The training method is the same, in my opinion, for a recall refined dog. Mm-hmm. The thing that I think people, personally, the thing that I think people do wrong is they teach it as one giant circular behavior. And I think that's why they have so many problems with it when you start getting in the world of testing and deploying and all of those things. So whether you're starting a puppy at eight weeks or you're starting that dog at a year old, and I actually, I like both. I like, personally, I like to have my babies young because then I can train them up knowing nothing else. But when I'm bringing dogs in to train for other people, I will go look for a little bit older, if I can get one, a little bit older candidate because then I know what their temperament is like. I know what their physicality is like. I know what their drive is like. I know what their play is like. So for me, that the age thing, I love both. Just Mm -hmm. putting that out there. Um, But the way I train refines is a way that I actually learned from Dr. Sarah Garfunkel, my best friend. Um, And this was as mind blowing of an experience 20 years ago as watching a bark dog. And that is I teach the refine in four distinct steps. So whether you have a baby or an an older dog, the first thing I teach is victim commitment. You're going to run out. You're going to find the person. You're going to get whatever your favorite thing is. So toys, food, whatever. I like toys, but that's a debate for another day. So I want that, that new dog to learn that the best thing in the world is out in the woods. And so I will spend a long time just finding the person, getting the reward, finding the person, getting the reward, finding the person, getting the reward. I start out with the little baby, you know, the motivationals, puppy runaways, whatever you want to call them, Um, you know, the short and sweet, real quick, And I am on that step of the refined until we're doing 20, 30, 40 acres. And that dog is ranging out and finding the victim and the victims calling me on the radio going, they're here, we're playing, whatever. So that is the first thing that I teach all of my dogs, no matter what age they are. Okay. Um, So, so a clarifying question. Yep. So in your first step, whether they're doing 20 yards or 20 acres, as soon as that person, excuse me, as soon as that dog finds the person, that dog is rewarded. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. Good deal. Yep. And, and you do start, I mean, I do start out with the call outs, you know, puppy, mm-hmm. puppy, puppy, the runaways. And then those go to the auditory call outs where maybe the victim is a little bit further away and the puppy's not going to, the young dog's not going to hear the yell. So then I'll use a whistle on my victim, use a whistle because I'm teaching two things at that first stage of search dog development. And that is all good things happen at the victim. And you need to range out there to find them. So 
that's how I get dogs that range, whether they're doing a refined or a bark alert. They know that the very first thing they learned was that their favorite thing is out there and they need to go get it. And when they get it, they're going to get their very favorite thing. Okay, good deal. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to clarify it again because this is a question that is often asked. When that dog gets to that person, we're not asking for any behavior out of the dog. The only behavior is the fact that they found them. Is that, is that still correct? That is correct. Yes, that Perfect. is a good point. Thank you for bringing that up because I tend to forget that. I teach my, my trained final response my TFR, my alert behavior, whatever you want to call it, I teach that separately. So they learn whatever they're going to do. So if they're jumping on me, I'm going to ask them, you know, hop, jump on me, jump, jump, jump. I'm going to ask for that in the house. I'm going to ask for that when I'm standing there doing dishes and not facing them. I'm going to ask for that when I'm sitting in the chair. I'm going to ask for it when I'm laying on the ground, when I'm tying my shoe. I want that command for the trained final response to be bomb-proof in any other scenario other than the search when I'm first starting with a young dog. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of doing two things simultaneously. In the search world, I'm teaching them that victims are the best thing in the world and will have their favorite stuff. And then I'm teaching the muscle memory of my trained final response separate because i'll tell you what if you do that when you're ready to chain it in it will be so easy it it, it will blow your mind how easy it will be perfect so i'm going to repeat that because i i've seen it a few times where people say well i want my dog to bark at me whenever it comes back to me on the the recall and then you say all right get the dog out of the car and tell it to bark and the person says bark and the dog looks at it the dog yep. isn't ready <laughs> to add that to the to the chain it's not ready to add that to the search so your point is once that that bark or that jump or whatever it is is on the light switch it's on the trigger and it's unmistakable then you can add it into the search is that correct right when you're at that step of the four-step refined mm -hmm. training progression then yes they will know that command so solidly because you've taught it, you know, it's like teaching sitting down, you, you give a reward for sit, you give a reward for down, you teach them, you teach them a little bit at separate times, but the dog can learn two things at the same time. So mm -hmm. in search training, they're learning to go out and find their favorite thing. And everywhere else, they're learning that when you say speak, or you say jump, they do it no matter what you're doing. And I think if you get both of those foundations early on in your training, you will set yourself up for a bomb-proof refine dog. All right, perfect. So we got step one. So I, I, I'm i going to clarify this. So step one is dog goes out, finds the person, gets the toy immediately. There's a base level, st level step of teaching the alert behavior totally outside the search training. So we're going to, we're going to say that's an outlier. Step one is dog goes out, finds the person. All right, what's step two? Okay, so now you're up, you know, you're doing 20 acre problems or whatever, dogs going out reliably, finding the person, getting their reward, they're not getting distracted, you make sure you always have radios, 
again, you make sure you always have radios, you always have radios so that that subject can tell you the dog is here. Wait a second. Wait a second. So should we have a, <laughs> should we have a radio? Yes or no? <laughs> yes. Yes. Because dogs learn to lie very quickly. Mm -hmm. And you want to make sure in that initial teaching phase where you're teaching them subject loyalty and the joy of the search game, that they're not blowing by the victim, that they're not chasing deer, that they're not eating poop that they're not putzing around. And so your your subject can give you all of that information. Oh yeah, you know, Fluffy came in today, but man, she was really, she was eating the grass and peeing on the tree before she finally came to me. Like that's, that's something you need to know before you go any further. Mm -hmm. If your dog's not taking off and finding the victim and getting to the victim, you're not ready to move on to any other step. But let's say, that you are you've gone out dogs doing fantastic loves this game is doing really well now you're teaching step two and step two is find the victim come back to the handler and when i get to that point i shorten my problems all the way back up to basically puppy runaways because i'm taking out the search i am training a new behavior so think about your recall refind as four separate obedience things. First obedience is I run out and I get my reward from my subject. The next step is I come back to my handler and I get my reward. So dogs search naturally. They do that most of the time instinctually. So now you're teaching them the next chain of the final behavior. So take the search out of it. I'm not sure if that makes sense, but yes, it does. What I do is I bring my victims back and I, you know, they go from here to behind that tree. And of course, they're ready to go. They're like, oh my God, I'm going to get paid for hardly doing anything. This is fantastic. They run out, they get to the victim, they're waiting for their toy. Well, surprise. At this step, the victim is going to basically be unresponsive. Dogs are going to go there, going to mug them, trying to get their reward, and I'm going to call the dog back. And when that dog turns, I'm going to whip out that treat bag, whip out that toy and be like, come on, come on. And they're going to get a big party at me because mm -hmm. they're going to run back. They're going to be like, oh, my God, she has the toy. So they're going to go to the subject. They're going to run back to me. I am just going to keep playing with that dog and I'm going to have the victim get up and come out to me. I don't want any chance for that dog to turn around and go back to the victim because I don't want that yet okay what I want now at this step is dog runs out to the victim the victim is unresponsive the dog spins around comes back to me and the problem stops right there yep problem stops right there okay. and I'm going to call the dog so I'm going to be at this runaway stage until the confusion is gone and it trust me it's not going to take that long um the dog's going to run out, come back, spin around and come back without me even getting the chance to call the dog. So what I say in my mind when I'm at this step with a dog is, all right, as soon as that I see the dog get to the subject, I'm going to start counting to three in my head. And if that dog is not spinning around to come back to me, by the time I get to three, maybe five, I'm going to start calling or whistling or do whatever I need to do to get it back to me. And then that party is going to happen at me and I'm going to leash the dog up. We're going to party all the way back to the car. 
And okay. again, this is where you're also going to need radios because as you start to length, re-lengthen out your problem a little bit at a time, you're going to need the hand, the victim to say to you, the dog is here, call him back. Mm -hmm. Or the dog can't hear you, call louder, get your whistle or whatever. So again, communication with the person hiding for you is critical. Okay, so then on step two, are you are you also going out to that twenty to forty acres and and still going that length of search, or is it is it all shorter runaway type type work? Nope, I'm going to start lengthening it out until I can get ten, fifteen, twenty acres on that step two, where I know, you know, nine out of ten times that dog is running out there finding the victim and spinning back to me. And what's very critical for me at this point is I still want my search dog to get to the victim. Flybys, whiz, whiz bys, that's, that's not going to fly for me. I need you to put your nose, your eyes, you need to get very close, dog, to that victim before you spin around and come back to me. And so I want, I want that subject to be telling me all this oh yeah she came in and you know goose me with her nose or tried to take my mitten or whatever and she's coming back to you i know i'm ready for the next step when the subject is saying she hit me and is on her way back before i even get a chance to think about counting in my head mm -hmm. um then i know okay now we're ready for step three okay so you want it to be automatic muscle memory is the word that i'll use the dog gets to the person sees them, acknowledges them, muscle memory says, turn back around and go back. Yes. Okay. Yep, exactly. All right, perfect. What's step three? Step three is when you introduce that amazing trained final response command that you have bomb-proofed every other scenario. So now dog runs, you know, you let the dog go, dog runs out to the subject, dog comes swinging and flying back to you. It's expecting to get its toy or treat or whatever you use. And now as it's flying back to you, you give it that command. Speak. For a moment, you're probably going to get this kind of look like, what? I don't have to bark. I just get my thing. Mm -hmm. So you might have to, you might have to cue it a couple times, but Dog, as soon as you see that dog and it's close enough that it can hear you, I start using that command, speak, speak, speak. And the dog starts barking, I give it the toy. Then the big party happens. If the dog gets all the way back to me and is a little bit confused, I'm still going to, I'm still going to cue that, which I hope is muscle memory by the time. So I don't have this problem, but sometimes they do. They're just so shocked that you're asking for it in their fun game that you need to do it a couple times and then it's a big party, right? Mm -hmm. they're, they're still not going back to the victim. We don't need them to go back. I mean, I'll tell my, I'll tell my subject, I'll be like, I'm playing with them, come on out. Or, you know, we'll walk back to the car playing. But that's when I introduce that, that bomb-proof trained final response that you've been teaching all this time in all these different scenarios. And the reason it's important to teach it separate is because you never know what you're going to be doing when that dog finds a person in the real world. So you need to teach that dog to jump on you, bark at you, you know, 
I don't know, take the toy out of your pocket when you're reading your map and talking on the radio or looking at your cell phone. So that's why I teach it separate before I bring it in as step three. Because mm-hmm. oh, now so- I have two solid things. I have the train final response and I have a dog that's doing a bombproof recall. Okay, cool. So clarifying question on step three. So once you transition from step two to step three, are you also shortening the distance again? Sometimes. It depends on the dog. Okay. If I have a dog that comes back to me and I'm and I'm asking, for, like I'll do one or two where, okay, they're from here to the tree, you know, I don't know, 50 feet, 60 feet, whatever it is. Um, I'll have one or two of those little puppy runaways. But by this time, you've probably been training this dog long enough that if you do go back to the really super short problems for any length of time, you're not going to have to stay there very long. Because you're looking at a dog now that's, you know, instead of a year, it's probably 18 months, Mm -hmm. 16 months. So it's got the game. All you're doing now is cueing the alert behavior. So if you start to see the ranging falling apart because now the dog has figured out that you have the reward, um, you know, there's steps you can take to fix that. But most of the time, if you have trained a solid search and recall, that this little step of adding the train final response will go fairly quickly. Okay. Okay, cool. All right. And so now let's, let's say we're using a bark. The dog comes back and bark. Now we have that on muscle memory. So how do we transition to step four? So that is when I do shorten things up because And again, when I say shorten them up, I don't mean very long. Most, and I'm going to say this in the nicest way, but most dumb dogs can do a recall, a a refind. Mm -hmm. Like they want to show you what they found. So at that step, the toy goes back to the subject. I shorten the problem back up. And now I have the whole chain together. Dog goes to the person. They don't even have to search. They just run to the person. They already know to come back to me. They come back to me. They're giving me their final response. They're waiting for their toy. They're not getting it. And at the moment they bark at me, I'm going to say, show me. And that's going to cue my subject to go, come here, come here, come here, come here. Look, 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 look. And oh, not all of you kids. Um, my whole audience. <laughs> all the dogs. Yeah. Up. Um <laughs> But that's going to cue the dog to run back to the to the subject. So for that last step, you are going to shorten it back up. Okay. Okay. And so, so that sorry, they go can ahead. hear the victim call them. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, when the dog comes back to you, you get your bark. You say, "Show me," and "Show me" is the 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 cue for your subject to call the dog in. And then are you following the dog? Are you staying still? What are you doing? Nope. I'm going to take steps towards the victim because that the dog will naturally start going the direction I'm going. And so I'm going to take a couple steps towards the victim. They're going to see the victim calling and waving the toy or the treat bag. They're going to run back there and get the party. And I'm just going to let the victim then play with that dog all the way back to me. Okay. So... Or the other thing that I've done is I will just walk up and tell the the subject to just keep playing with them Mm -hmm. because I want the dog to understand that at this point now, the victim is back to being the most fun. 
Okay. And is that usually an easy transition for the dog to go back to the victim, or does that typically take a little work? It's usually pretty easy. I have not found that to be a difficult step at all. Okay, cool. So let's do this. Let, let's have you go back through steps one through four just really quickly, and then we're going to get into to a little bit more of the minutiae of training this. So take us through steps one through four just really quickly, just as a high-level summary. Yep. So step one, every time all of these steps, you have radio communication if you don't have visual on your victim. So step one, the dog learns to go out and find the victim, gets its reward. Step two, dog knows to go find the victim comes back to you, gets the reward. You know when you're ready to move on from that step, when the dog is springing back from that victim with automatic muscle memory, you don't even get a chance to call it. Your victim says they're coming in hot and basically doing backflips off of them. That's when you know you're ready to add your trained final response, which is step three. So step one, they find the victim. Step two, they're springing back to you and getting their reward. Step three, they are going out, finding the victim, turning around, coming back to you. You're asking for their trained final response and giving them the reward. And then step four, the reward is going back to the victim. So the victim gets the reward, dog goes out, finds the victim, springs back to you, gives you the trained final response without the cue. And that's when you begin the, the show me. And then the victim is back to doing the reward. So you know you're ready to move on from, from step one when the dog is doing 20 acres and isn't dicking around and is ranging well and takes joy in finding its victim. You know you're ready to move on from step two when the dog is rebounding off of that victim without you even getting a chance to get to three in your head. You know you're ready to move on from step three, which is asking for the alert behavior when the dog is beating you to it. So you're starting to count to three before you give the cue. The dog's already coming in seeing you and barking or running faster to jump on you or grabbing the toy or whatever it is. You're ready to do the show me when the first three steps are bomb proof and mm. you don't even get a chance to cue them. Okay, perfect. Perfect. So that that is a great summary. So let's let's dig into some of the minutia because I know you've seen this enough. Um, what I want to talk about is proofing the recall refine and I'm going to give some context. And I heard you say this and whenever I heard you say this, it was like a light bulb went off of my head. What a lot of us do, especially when we're starting as new handlers, we go through this process and the dog is coming back to us. It just found the person and we stop and we square up and we just become this gigantic statue looking at the dog, waiting for the dog to do the thing, whatever the alert is, whatever the train response is. So talk about ways to proof that that recall back to you, whether whether you fall down, whether you're tying your shoe, whether it's night, whether it's morning, whether you have your back turned to it, how do you proof that and make sure it is truly bomb proof as, as you described earlier? So when I'm gonna start bomb proofing my indication, I'm gonna shorten up my problems. Maybe not puppy runaway type things or motivational things, but something where, uh, you know, the dog is only going to do a short search, it's going to come back to me, and I'm going to be ready. So before I get out of the car, I am making my training plan for the day. Because let's see what happens is a stupid training plan, and no one should ever have it. <laughs> so 
get we put it on a t-shirt this year Zephyrin we put it on a t-shirt and all the instructors wore it on Tuesday nice so you you're gonna have your plan today I'm gonna be talking on my radio right you don't even actually have to be communicating with anyone the radio can be off if you want but the dog goes out and finds the victim the victim calls you and says and I have them do this because you're not testing your training. So for the life of my dog, I have the victim radio me that they made the find. Because I want to know if there's any time between the dog making the find and the dog getting back to me where there could be something going on. Like they chased a deer or ate poop or whatever. So I always have the victim call. Like 9 out of 10 problems, I want the victim to tell me, dog found me, they're coming back. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. So... Now that I know that, now I'm in, okay, I'm going to do it. I want to make sure I'm talking on the radio. So I'm going to get my radio out. As soon as that victim calls me, I'm going to get, you know, maybe a second radio out and I'm going to start talking. Maybe I'm going to sing the national anthem, but I'm going to do something. So when the dog comes back, it has a different picture than it's probably ever seen before. Mom is walking around talking on the radio and I have it in my head. I'm counting to three. I see that dog. I'm counting to three. If it doesn't look like it's going to be giving me the the train final response behavior, I'm cueing it. So I might be going, yeah, I'm having a great time. No, it's wonderful weather out here in my radio. Speak, speak, speak. You know, I mm-hmm. want, this is the time where I'm going to fix that confusion. The dog is seeing something it's never seen before because I guarantee you, all of us with refined dogs subconsciously cue the behavior by doing exactly what you said you either stand up or I knew a a gal with a golden retriever she's a good friend of mine she always bent over always she always doc would be coming in and she would bend over and the when she was doing her certification she didn't bend over because she was reading her radio she totally misread the the dog had no idea what to do Hmm. it sat down in front of her and she was like would you like a drink she's giving it water it's looking over her shoulder like there's a victim (laughs) over there but i don't and she failed her eval i Mm -hmm. broke my heart but i was like you never proofed your indication so make your plan and go back to your cue have that in your head Today, I'm going to be talking on my radio. Um, Maybe the next training I do, the dog is coming, and I'm going to turn around and walk the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. So the dog is coming into my back. Talk about a difficult situation for a dog. Most of them will not do a body bump if they're going to hit you in the back. They have to be taught, yeah, it's okay. You still have to hit me. You still have to jump on me. You, you still have to do that. So that's, again, where that muscle memory for the command for your train final response needs to be bomb-proof before you even get to proofing it in your recall refined chain. Mm-hmm. So have your plan and go back to queuing. If you need to shorten up your problems while you're while you're doing all of this adjustment, turning and walking away, leaning down and tying your shoe, talking on the radio, just go ahead and shorten it up. That way there, you're not going to forget to cue the behavior if they're not getting it. You're taking all of the search out of the problem. Right now, you're just teaching the dog to do that behavior no matter what position you're in. And I can tell you, if you have done that before 
you put it in the search scenario, you may not have any of these problems to begin with because the dog has already learned, oh, mom's going to ask me to speak when she's sitting on the couch mm, mm -hmm. or she's going to ask me to jump on her while she's doing dishes or doing the laundry or laying on the floor. You want to blow their mind, ask a jump alert dog to jump on you when you're laying on the floor. They have no idea what to do. <laughs> so that's just, a good one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you're probably never going to be laying on the floor, but what if that one time they find that little kid, you trip on a log. Yep. So yeah, that those are pretty simple fixes. You can shorten up your problems and just be ready to cue the behavior, have your plan of what odd thing you're going to do when the dog is coming back for the recall. Okay, cool. So let's, that great advice. Let's jump into some troubleshooting questions and see, these are some questions that I've, a lot of these I, I tried to pull from Facebook. Just I questions are commonly asked on there. So I want to run these by you. So first one I have here on my list is the dog doesn't. So, so let's make an assumption. The assumption is we've gone through all four steps. We've actually trained it correctly and we're a, a quote unquote seasoned search dog. And now we're just, things are breaking down. So the first one is dog doesn't alert when recalling back to the handler. So the dog finds the person, comes back, but doesn't give the alert. What are some things that you've seen that, that can help train, or excuse me, uh, resolve that issue? Most of the time, they, they have either lengthened their problems too fast, and the dog is tired or hot, and it hasn't learned the muscle memory to still give that indication even if it's hot. So the main issue, if you have that problem, is the dog has either never been rewarded at you as the handler for giving its trained indication, or it's just not bomb proof. Mm -hmm. it, you just need to go back to cueing it. The dog is the one that decides when you get to stop cueing. I know that sounds weird, but trust me on this. The dog is the one who decides when you get to stop cueing the behavior. So don't go to the re to the show me part until that dog is coming in to you and giving that alert before you even get a chance to cue it nine out of 10 times. So the major problem is the dog just doesn't understand that that's a requirement and that that's what's going to get its reward. So if you have that problem, back up, dog goes to the subject, run, turns around, comes running back to you, you're cueing the behavior and giving them the party. Okay, perfect. Stop the show me part. Just go mm -hmm. back to step three. Go to the victim, come back from the victim, give give the trained indication before I get a chance to cue it, have a party. And do that for a while. Don't do that just twice or three times or four trainings. Do it for a while because that is the most important part of the entire sequence. If your dog finds somebody and can't tell you that person dies on your watch, and what are you going to say to the mom of that little kid when your dog didn't come back and do what it was supposed to do? Mm -hmm. So get rid of the show me part and go back to cueing it until the dog is doing it. Nine out of 10 trainings without being the cue, without right. being cued. Perfect. 
Next question. The dog gets distracted in either the recall or refine. So it, it performs the behavior, but, you know, it goes and eats poop, like you mentioned earlier, it goes and sniffs a tree. What do you do in that situation? I shorten up the problems okay. because again, I'm back to an obedience lesson. I'm not searching now. Now you're learning, run to the person, turn around, come back to me, cue the alert, give the reward. Find the person, run back to me, cue the alert, give the reward. If your reward, there is one caveat to that. If your reward sucks and you're not paying the dog the way it needs to get paid, that can also cause that problem you're no fun. Like mm -hmm. who wants to come back to you? You're giving me a ball and I hate balls. So you also want to have a good reward system that will keep a lot of this from happening. Um, but you would be at that same thing, shorten your problems up if the dog's getting distracted so that all the dog needs to do is go to the person, come back to you, cue the alert, give the reward and make sure you're given a good reward. Like make it exciting like that dog, you should be the most happy, excited person ever when that dog does what it needs to do, because that's hopefully what's turning your dog on. Um, hopefully you don't have a shy dog because that's a whole nother problem. Right. But, you know, you want you want that dog to know that what it just did was the best thing ever. And it's going to get its favorite thing. Okay, cool. Good deal. Next question. I'll call it fringe alerts or even false alerts on the subject. So the dog, let's say you have a bark dog. The dog goes and ranges out 50 yards. You can't see it. It comes back and gives you a fake bark to try to trick you. Uh, I, actually, I'll stop right there. So how would you fix something like that? Well, first of all, remember, you're always going to have a radio. Aha. So <laughs> if you haven't gotten a call, you just ignore it. Okay. Just keep walking. Mm -hmm. Worst case scenario, if you have a really hard headed, you know, sometimes the pointy ears can get a little hard headed when they're lying to you. <laughs> so mm -hmm. You might have to be like, ah, uh -uh, you know, give them not a correction per se, but uh, yeah, you're full of crap. So if you generally, if you don't reward their lies, they'll stop doing them, which again is why radio communication is vitally important at every step. So you never teach them to lie. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So a, a variation of the same question. So let's say you have a dog that soon as it gets into odor, it comes back to you, even though they haven't actually found the person. As soon as they hit that odor cone, it's like, oh, I found something. I don't know where they're at. Let me go back and tell mom. So there again, you want to make sure that you have radio communication because the victim should be saying, hey, they haven't found me. Mm -hmm. So if your dog just comes back and gives you a, a trained final response and you've had no radio communication, I would ignore that. That would be the first thing. Now, let's say the victim says to you, they saw me. So, you know, they were probably in like, you know, they found the person, whether visually or in order, mm -hmm. and they're just shortening up the distance. Then what I would do is give the victim a little cookie or a toy or something that they when they see the dog on the next problem, I would say have that victim call the dog in, give mm -hmm. them just a little cookie, and then you call them for the refind. Ah, uh, okay. So you can, and I've actually, I did this with a dog, uh, Malinois, 
that I really, really love. And his handler, the first time I met that dog, that's what his dog did. His dog would just get into odor and be like, oh, it's good enough. And so I was like, well, you have to wait. And that dog, I mean, it took 15 minutes. The dog would like go hit the the edge of the cone. And we knew we could see. Mm -hmm. We set it up in a field where we could see that the dog wasn't going all the way in. And the dog would come back and give its train firing response. And we would just keep walking. And he was like, I don't know what's happening. Why am I not getting my toy? And finally, we got to the point where we were pretty much making our pattern and getting within six feet of the victim. And the dog went in had to touch the victim because we kind of forced it to and then came and then got the reward so the next problem when we did the second problem we gave the the victim a little piece of liver treat or whatever and when she saw the dog she put her hand out and of course the dog went in got the cookie and then did its refined so generally that problem is because the dog was never taught victim loyalty Okay. Nothing good ever came from the victim. The yeah. reward always came from the handler. So why even go to the victim? Gotcha. Okay, cool. Any other common issues that you see with uh, in the recall refine? I think you've probably hit most of the ones that I've seen earlier in the conversation. Okay. Um, generally, those getting distracted, not ranging. I would say if your dog goes back to not ranging, take a couple steps back and let the victim reward them for a couple trainings mm -hmm. just to bring that joy back to finding the victim. And then, you know, make sure that there's nothing physically wrong with the dog. Cause sometimes that happens too. The dog's had an injury or it's not feeling good. It's got tick-borne illness or something's a little off and it's just not taking any joy. If you have that, go back to just doing a motivational problem a couple times and let the victim reward on the find. And that usually will fix that problem right up. Okay, perfect. Well, yeah, this is this has been a great discussion. Very much appreciated, Michelle. Hopefully the the listeners appreciate it too. Um covered a lot of a lot of information, but I think it was all very relevant. I again, I've seen on Facebook this question has been asked so many times. Recently, I talked to a handler who was like, hey, how should you uh, teach the recall refine? I was like, well, let me just pair it to you what I heard Michelle say years ago. <laughs> so I've been using your advice for the last several years because whenever I heard you and Sarah explain it for the, the first time, it just made so much sense to me. And it was, it was almost like if you could have seen the light bulb above my head, it would have turned on. So thank you so much for, for having this conversation with us. Before we adjourn, as always, I'd, I'd like to, to give you the opportunity to talk about any memorable searches that you've been on in your career. You've been doing it a long time, maybe two or three stories that really stick out to you from searches that you've, that you've participated in or your team participated in. I, <laughs> I can tell you my favorite story that did not end up with a find, but we were working a case where there was a, a lady who was missing and <laughs> it was sort of a, an urban rural situation. So it was kind of along a busy highway, but it was a little bit rural. We were searching farm fields and whatever. And I had Brett and Brett lifted, you know, he did his, I like to call it like my Stevie Wonder impression that his head went up and he, he just, you know, he mm -hmm. was kind of swaying to the music. 
swaying to the sun cone, and he took off like a shot. And you know me, I am not a skinny woman. Okay, we're not going to pull any punches. I'm not. <laughs> and so he takes off like like a shot. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And I can hear him barking. Right. So he starts barking. I look at the officer. <laughs> the officer looks at me. We both take off running. Well, of course, he's this nice, skinny, fit young guy. So he is way ahead of me. And all I can think about to this day, all I can think about is the people who are driving by on the highway who are like, why is that fat woman chasing that cop? <laughs> like, like, why is she running after him through the farm fields? Like, that is, to this day, I wish I could talk to someone who pulled over a lot. Because I saw people pull over. And I am sure that they were just wondering why I was chasing that officer. And it ended up that Brett did not find the woman. He found a woman who was out picking mushrooms. Oh, okay. So he'd find somebody. And he went in and was barking at and and when we both finally got up to the woman the, she was laughing too she's like i don't know why he's barking at me i gave him a couple mushrooms but he doesn't want them <laughs> and so you know i can't speak because i just ran through a cornfield but the cop is like yeah no it's fine we're so sorry we're looking for you know have you seen this person and so that was that was a funny moment <laughs> probably my best search was with tap um it was his very first official search after he certified we went and it was like november october november so wisconsin can be nice or can be cold and it it was it was cold it was wet and there was a gentleman who walked away from an elderly housing complex and he was naked and when we we made our plan. We talked about our lost subject behavior. What do dementia patients usually do? Where's a good area? Blah, blah, blah. This was kind of an urban-y area, like a rural farm town, but it was in town. Um, and I let Tap go and he took off and we could hear him barking in the distance. And when we got up to him, the gentleman was severely hypothermic and laying half in and half out of a frozen creek mm. and tap was actually laying on top of him barking and it was my proudest moment because it was about a year and a half later i actually got to meet the gentleman and his family and yeah that was that was probably my best moment ever was That's cool save life yeah, yeah. And most yeah. most people who found who find people never get to meet the family, never get a thank you. And we don't do it for that. But it's so nice and rewarding that you got the opportunity to do that. That's great. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I was I was humbled by that experience and it made me even more even more cognizant of the fact of the power that I have as a search team, mm -hmm. the the ability I have to save a life or take one mm -hmm. and. Yeah, that that was probably my best moment ever. And then I have one other funny moment that's probably not politically correct, but I'm going to tell you it anyway because it was hysterical. Please so do. we were, yeah, we were just new to the whole search and rescue thing, right? And this actually wasn't a search. This was a training. We got asked to do a training with the Water Patrol out on Lake Michigan. And Lake Michigan is big. It's, it's like Wisconsin's ocean. So... <laughs> We had, and this was when I had my first two dogs, Duchess and Kayla. 
So Sean and I are on this big Boston whaler out in Lake Michigan and we hit rough seas and the boat is bouncing and bouncing. And I can see Kayla, my husband, Shepard, turning green. I could see her turning green. And I was like, oh my God, we're two miles from shore. Please don't throw up. Please don't throw up. And she must have heard me because she turned immediately and vomited all of her dog food into the crotch and the lap of the sheriff of the county, <laughs> right? And so I'm horrified. I'm like, oh my God, she upchucked a half a pound of kibble on this guy's crotch. So what do I do? I get up because I don't know anything. I'm like 19 years old. I don't have a clue. I get up and I proceed to get down on my knees in the crotch of the sheriff on a pitching boat and start flinging the vomit out of his crotch. And I look up, right? Because I mean, I'm scooping, you know, right there between his legs. I am picking up vomit and flinging it into Lake Michigan. And I look up because I realize that the boat has gotten dead quiet. And I look around and all, I was the only woman on this boat, all of the police guys, were like red and staring at me and the sheriff was so far back against the seat and he had his hand like i'm not touching her i didn't i, I have nothing to do with this you know god i hope my re-election's not coming up but yeah that was my most embarrassing moment because i was not married to my husband then but the he was like do you know what that looked like like all i could think about Hun was getting the vomit off of the sheriff before we got into the into the port so yeah that was my other most embarrassing that can is barely live that down <laughs> that is hilarious. Yes. so now from that day on whenever we're doing water training with any agency i just don't feed my dogs in the morning <laughs> yeah. whether they get sick or not i am not going to be scooping you kibble out of their crotch well i'm just imagining you know two years later you're walking down the street and you happen to see the sheriff walking the other way and just the awkward look that you do give oh yeah yeah i mean we were on searches with him and i was just like don't look at him don't no it's okay don't look at him yeah well, you're lucky it wasn't today because everyone it would have been on twitter and facebook and Instagram oh my god yes thank god thank god we did have cell phones back yeah. when this all started and all the grams and yeah that's right talks and all that stuff oh god yeah that'd have been terrible <laughs> oh lord so well, yeah those were probably my funniest moments yeah that's great thank you so much for sharing that so as we adjourn this interview again just really appreciative of your time if people want to contact you for training or they they want to join your team perhaps or come out and help hire for the dogs or maybe hey a handler somewhere wants to bring you in for a seminar in another part of the state or the country how can folks reach out to you Oh, I'm easy. So phone number that goes to my cell phone, and it's better to text me because I live in the sticks. My cell phone number is 757-506-4535. So you can call or text anytime. I love teaching and I do it fairly cheap. So um, if you want to email, my team email is my account. So it's uh, K-E-R-T-W-I. So Kurt wi at hotmail.com um okay. 
and my information is on the NASAR website too, because I'm a lead evaluator and FUNSAR instructor, and I'm a lead evaluator for the levels of area three and two, all the levels of USAR live and, and cadaver and all of the cadaver testing. So Great. if you need testing or you need an evaluator, you can hit me up for that too. Great. That is perfect. So again, Michelle, thank you so much for your time. We greatly appreciate it. This was a wonderful discussion and we are de definitely in debt to your, to your knowledge and your experience in, in the search and rescue, search and rescue community. There's, there's so few people who have the, the number of years experience that you, that you have. And so thank you so much for staying in the fight after all these years and, and continuing to reach out and help other people uh, gain the knowledge and experience that you have. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. This is my first podcast. I have to say it was great. I loved it. Um, but I love sharing. I, I mean, I'm certainly, I don't know everything, but I will share whatever I do know with anyone who wants to ask. And if I can help make anybody a better team so that you can bring that little one home to their parents, um, I want to do that because I live through every dog that has ever been through a seminar. There are still people who text me and are like, we had a fine today. I mean, I am as excited about that as I am as if it were my own dog. So if I can help anybody answer any questions, give any bits of advice, I would love to do that. Cool. And for the listeners out there, she actually means it. a lot of people say that, but they don't really mean it. She actually means it. So I'll put her put her her information in the show notes and on the Facebook page. Please follow the Facebook page. I would greatly appreciate it if you did. And as always, thank you so much for listening to Hunt Find Alert. And we'll see you next time. Have a great day. <music>